Please send Mashiach now. All right, so we're in the Midrash Rabbah, Pasha Kedoshim, starting at 24.5. This is uh, continuing on with how the whole entire Torah is summed up in Kedoshim, which is if you love your neighbors, you love our, if you love your neighbors, you love yourself. Um, that is like the greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, which is all your resources. And then that is today hearing his voice and being led by the spirit of God. So just want to take some trips through the Midrash Rabbah because I highlighted a bunch of things and I just wanted to share them. The first one is, it says, Rabbi Levi explained it was taught at a full gathering of the people because the Ten Commandments are included therein. It says as follows. The first commandment, I am Hashem your God, which is Shemot 20, verse 2. As it is written here in Parsha Kedoshim, I am Hashem your God. That's written in verse 3 of chapter 19. So it says, the second commandment is you shall not recognize the gods of others. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness. Shemot, or uh, yeah, Shemot 20 verses three through four. So the second commandment is not making any idols and all that. Well, in uh, Vayikra 19 verse four it says, and it is written there, and molten gods you shall not make for yourselves. The third commandment is you shall not take the name of Hashem your God in vain. Shemot 20 verse 7. As it is written here, you shall not swear falsely by the name of Hashem. That's verse 12. Parsha Kedoshim verse 12. It goes on to say the fourth commandment is remember the Shabbat. Shemot 20 verse 8 as it is written here my Shabbat you shall revere verse 3 wait a minute wait 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 what we going back and forth yeah we going back and forth wow love it so Vayikra 19.3 is the first commandment Vayikra 19.4 is the second commandment Vayikra 19.12 is the third commandment. Vayikra 19.3 is the fourth commandment. Wow, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Shemot 20 verse 12. As it is written here, every man, your mother and your father, you shall revere. Shemot 19.3. I just want you to keep count that one, two, three. Three of the Ten Commandments are all found in verse three of Parsha Kedoshim, which again is Vayikra 19, Leviticus 19. The Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder. Shemot 20 verse 13, as it is written here, you shall not stand aside while your fellow's blood is shed. Verse 16. Again, this is all Leviticus 19. Then it goes on to say, The seventh commandment, 
is you shall not commit adultery. It's also in Shemot 20, verse 13. It says that, and it is written here, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Oh, we're jumping a chapter. Vayikra 20, verse 10. It goes on to say, the eighth commandment is you shall not steal. It's also in Shemot, chapter 20. And it is written here, you shall not steal. It's written in Vayikra 19, or yeah, 2011. Jumping around, man. It's the dealio. Stand by for a second. I want to track all this because it feels like we're just flipping it against the wall and going all over the place. <laughs> yeah, so it is written, you shall not steal. And then in Vayikra 2011, it actually says, nope, that's the one about the forbidden relations. So yeah, I think we're going back to 1911, which says, yeah, wow. So we went all the way to chapter 20, and then we jumped back to chapter 19 for the 8th commandment. See, if we didn't have oral Torah, we would not be able to see this. And it says, okay, so there's that one. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your fellow. That's from Shemot 20. And it says, it is written here, you shall not go about gossip, gossiping among your people. That's verse 16 of chapter 19. Goes on to say, and the tenth commandment, you shall not covet your fellow's house or anything that belongs to your fellow. Shemot 20, verse 14. It says, as it is written here, you shall love your fellow as yourself. Wow. 1918. So stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. The first commandment of the ten commandments. Is about loving, loving Hashem, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The tenth commandment is about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. The first word of the ten commandments is anoki. The last word of the ten commandments is reka, which is neighbor, your neighbor. So the first and last word of the ten commandments is, I am Hashem, your neighbor which is the greatest commandment, which includes the second commandment. That's like the first commandment. And then even when you look at the rabbinic breakdown about the 10 commandments found in Kedoshim, the commandment about love your neighbors, you love yourself corresponds to the 10th of the 10th commandments written in Exodus chapter 20. I just want to go throw everything right now. What is going on? Like that's ridiculous. Footnote says, one who truly loves his fellow will have no desire to take anything away from him. Because it says, you shall not covet your fellow's house. And that's love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, if you truly, I mean, if you're a person who steals, you're basically saying, yeah, I don't love, I don't love Hashem. 
I don't love my neighbor. Wow. Talk about incrimination. Alright. I accomplished my task of citing the whole entire Torah being in Parsha Kedoshim. So, Todah Rabbah Hashem for the opportunity to be able to do that. I love the opportunity to have sources and to be able to share these things. So now, I'm only eight minutes into the podcast. Oh, snap. Here we go. Party, 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 party. Party. All right. The portion of Kedoshim. This is Vayikra. By the way, the Ten Commandments of of uh, Parsha Kedoshim. You find that in Vayikra Rabbah twenty four five. So if anybody ever asks you, what do you mean the whole Torah is if you love your neighbor, you love yourself, like Galatians five fourteen? Yeah, Vayikra Rabbah twenty four five. You should go read it. But I don't want to read that rabbinic stuff. Well, why are you reading the letters of Paul? Exactly. Okay, Rabbi Yehuda ben Pazi said, Why is the portion of Kedoshim? Why is the portion of forbidden relations written next to the portion of Kedoshim? Come on, man, what you doing? Footnote says, The portion of Kedoshim, Leviticus chapter chapter 19, is sandwiched between the warnings against various forbidden relations at the end of Parsha Kare Mot and their punishments at the end of Parsha Kedoshim. So let's talk about the whole entire Torah, but we're going to surround it with things that you should not do. Namely, forbidden relations. Well, let's see. What what does Rabbi Yehuda ben Pazi say? He says, but the explanation is, to teach you that in every place you find a restraint on immorality, you find holy, holy, holiness. Okay. So in every place you find a restraint on immorality, there you will find holiness. Okay. So somewhere I was seeing about holiness is eternal. Let me go ahead and read that so I can make sure I share that point. I believe it was from the writing of Yeshayahu, the uh, the prophesying of Yeshayahu. Yeah, Yeshayahu. Man, come on! Why didn't I put the chapter in there? Come on, bro! Come on, bro! Hang on. Don't lose your place, man! Don't lose your place. I was reading somewhere and it was like, yeah, just like what Yeshayahu said. I believe it's chapter four. Hmm. Oh man. That's gonna that's gonna make me be like, what did I read? Oh, yeah, I was reading about fences. So the whole thing with fence laws. Totally a part of holiness, by the way. Hmm. 
Oh, here we go. Here we go. I remember reading this. And... Come on now, don't do this to me. Mm -hmm. Talk amongst yourselves. Until I get drop kicked in the face. By where did I read this? It's like, go take a picture of Isaiah. Okay. And I'm like, why did I take a picture of Isaiah? I was supposed to well sometimes you just got to do it the hard way uh, if you take pictures of sources it's kind of good if you get like like a little labeler or something to tell you what you took like type the picture out or save it as a note or something because you're gonna end up with sources and you're like where where is this from anyway so let's see of every remnant from Isaiah come on prep day give me what you got on Isaiah talking about remnants hmm Got to get a better filtration system. It's going to be okay. For the sake of sourcing this out appropriately. <laughs> okay. Of every remnant that will be in Zion and every remaining one in Jerusalem. That's the verse. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. So... Do, 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 do. Uh, wow, it was chapter four? Really? Well, how about that? Everyone who remains in Zion, this is verse three of chapter four, Tothar Bahashem. Everyone who remains in Zion, everyone left in Jerusalem will be called Kadosh. Holy, holy, holy. Everyone inscribed for life in Jerusalem. Now, if you just read this for a second. So you're going to have a remnant in Zion, which is everyone left in Jerusalem. Those people who are left there are going to be called Holy which are everyone inscribed for life in Jerusalem. Okay, so that's without reading any oral Torah, right? So here's what the Art Scroll Commentary says. Because the main point out of this is I want you to understand, or I want you to get to hear the sources teach us that one who is Kadosh, one who's made, set, 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 apart, set aside himself for holiness, 
set himself apart for holiness, is considered to have eternal life and to be inscribed in the book of life. So therefore, if you are not participating in the holiness that Hashem gives us, then you don't have eternal life, basically is what it kind of means. So if you're part of forbidden relations, if you're part of, you know, violating the Shabbat, if you're doing all that stuff in Galatians chapter 5, you know what? Just read Galatians 5. Basically this stuff. Okay. Let's go to Galatians 5. Okay, it says this. Because again, this is what not holiness is. Okay, so this is not being inscribed for eternal life. Sexual immorality. Hashem tells us what sexual sexual morality is by the Ten Commandments, namely the Parsha of Kedoshim. Impurity. That's Parsha Tazriyah Matzora. Debauchery. That's Parsha Karemot. And uh, Parsha Shemini. And then idolatry, again, that's kare mot kedoshim. And then it says sorcery, again, that's parsha kedoshim. Hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, rivalries, divisions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So yeah, all that stuff means you're not inscribed in the book of life and you're not considered holy and you are not a person of eternal life. So if you have any of that going on, might want to, might want to not do that. Okay. Of every remnant that will be in Zion and everyone remaining in Jerusalem. Let's look at this first. It says, uh, holy will be said of him. Anyone who survives the terrible wars that will take place at the advent of the Messianic era will settle in Jerusalem and be regarded as a holy person. That's from Rashi and Radak. Because only the holy and righteous will survive and be scribed in the book of life. That's from the Maharikara. Radak suggests that although survivors will dwell and dwell in other Israelite cities as well. Hopefully Berea will still be there. If not, then that's totally fine. And it says that although uh, the prophet singled out Zion, Jerusalem, because of its prominence as the seat of the kingdom or because it is there that the war of Gog and Magog will take place prior to the coming of Mashiach. The righteous who will be brought back to life will remain alive forever for they will be called holy and holiness never dies. So, you know, tomorrow never dies. Like James Bond said, well, it's actually Holiness never dies. The Ten Commandments never dies. Oh, yeah, that means the Torah never dies. Oh, yeah, that means the name of Hashem never dies. That's why Mashiach, though he died, he came back because he never dies. Just like the righteous, even though they die, they will come back and remain alive forever because they never die. So, yeah, we're going to see Abraham again. We're going to see Yitzhak again. We're going to see Yosef again. King David we're going to see all those people again because they never die. But they died, though. It's like, yeah, but they're going to they're gonna be brought back. Just like Yeshua, just like the Torah. Even when we shattered the Torah, Hashem brought it back. He's like, you know, you guys need this. 
You just don't get the the fancy one that I gave you the first time. You get the lesser ones, just like the temple. You don't get the fancy one you got with Shamo. You get a lesser one. But guess what? Third temple, the new tour that's to come, which is the same tour, by the way, you're going to get the, the most fancy one ever, and you have to be resurrected in order to get it because it's going to be just that intense. So, yeah. Tana de Ve Eliyahu talks about holiness never dies. It says, everyone who is inscribed for life in Yerushalayim, the Mahari Kara brings down, the ones who will be regarded as Kadosh will be those who have been inscribed in the Book of Life to survive the wars. So being in the Book of Life means you survive Gog and Magog. That's crazy. It says, alternatively, not only those who survived and all who are alive in that generation will be in Jerusalem, but even those who passed away will be restored to life in Jerusalem. So, you know, we'll be alive, but even if we die, we'll be restored to life. Okay. So, there you go. That's what we need to know. Next up, Varikra Rabbah 24-6. Continuing on after Rabbi Yehuda Ben-Pazi just laid down some positively amazing stuff. Going on, it says, uh, and this explanation accords with his other dictum of Rabbi Yehuda Ben-Pazi, who said elsewhere, Whoever restrains himself from immorality is called holy. It says, the word restrain themselves is goder adzmo, literally like restraining your essence, connotes placing additional restrictions upon oneself. How about that? You place additional restrictions upon yourself? I'm just saying. I mean, I don't know. Right? Hashem is giving us the Torah. And it's just like, all right, cool. So what are the conditions that you could, uh, conditions of restraint that you can put on yourself? They're called stringencies. Now you can have lots of stringencies. You can have a few stringencies. You can have no stringencies. But it's all within the confines of Torah. So, going on to say that additional restrictions upon oneself beyond those mentioned in the Torah to keep far from sin, which literally it says the word gedarim, which literally means fences. So you enact fences to keep yourself far away from sin. These are things like don't be alone in a car with a member of the opposite sex unless they're your family. Doesn't mean you can't be in a car with a member of the opposite sex because if you have conditions where, okay, it's an emergency, this has to happen, uh, that was the only way that this could work, then yeah, obviously you got to do what you got to do. However, if there are other options and you still go, I know I could do that, I know I could take public transportation i know i can go do this other stuff but no i just want to go 
I mean, she's kind of cute, so I just want to go ride in the car with her. It's like, might want to think about holiness for a moment. Okay, so anyway, that's one thing. Goes on to say that, I'm going to back up to this previous footnote. It says, this rule applies, this whole thing about restraining yourself, right, that you find holiness says this rule applies in practice for whoever restrains himself from illicit relations acquires holiness as in the example the midrash presently recites because it's going to talk about the shunammite woman and gehazi and all connecting to elisha but i what i want to go with is i want to bring in first corinthians 5 i want to start in first corinthians chapter 1 though because let's get to know our audience even though 1 Corinthians 1 is not really 1 Corinthians 1 because this is the first letter we have record of, but he wrote previously to this group. So here's how he 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 like opens up. He goes, Shaul, a shliach of Mashiach. I see why you did. Wow. Shaul, a shliach of Mashiach. <laughs> okay, anyway, it's like a little rap going on. Okay, he says, by the will of God, our brother and our brother Sosthenes, to the congregation of Hashem in Corinth. So there's a gathering of people that are set apart for Hashem and they're in Corinth. That's who he's writing to. All right. So, Sar Shalom would be a congregation of Hashem and Saginaw. So if we wanted to write a letter to us, it'll be the Saginaonians. Saginaoians or something like that. Sounds like a tribe or something. Okay. Anyway, says to those sanctified in the Mashiach and called to be Kadosh. So Asher Kitshanu Bey Mitzvotav. Bey Mitzvotav, like it, by the commandment who sanctifies us with his commandments. Oh, who sanctifies us with Mashiach with his Mashiach. So again, we know that Mashiach is the offerings. Mashiach is the entire Torah. Mashiach is the mitzvot. All this kind of stuff. So anyway, so there you go. Our Sherkishanu be mitzvotav drop. Our Sherkishanu be Mashiach Yeshua. Could be another way to say that. So if we go on, it says you're called to be kadosh. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of Hashem or who call on the name of Adonai, Mashiach Yeshua, their Lord and ours. Goodness. Calling on the name of Hashem in the name of Mashiach, basically, is what's happening here. when you're calling on the name of Hashem Mashiach is included in that and hence why Yeshua says you are to pray to the Father in my name okay so grace and shalom to you from Hashem our Father and his Mashiach just like we said Hashem and Moshe we also say Hashem and Mashiach so he clearly thinks this is a group of people who are Torah observant because if not, he wouldn't call them Kadosh. 
So for people who say Corinthians is about not keeping Torah, if you just study that verse alone, verse two, you'll get it because he just called them Kedoshim. And we clearly see Kedoshim are people who are upholding the Torah. So that gets really interesting when you go to chapter five, because he gets into a rebuke. And remember, you rebuke those that you love, but you, uh, what is that called? You denounce. Yeah, you denounce those who you don't love. Like, get out of here. Depart from me. I never knew you. Like, you're, you're done. But rebuke, you correct. You only correct people you love. You don't correct people you don't love. Okay? And remember, there's a certain way you rebuke because you have to be rebuked with them. Wellsprings of Torah brings that down, that if you're going to love your neighbors, you love yourself. You got to first not have a grudge against them. You got to first be willing to rebuke yourself as well because the reason your neighbor is acting up is because you're doing something that's acting up. So we're all connected and related and all that. And we got to remember that we can't be so uh, bold to think that we haven't sinned because we have. I mean, have you read the Siddur teaching us about how we need to be asking for forgiveness and we need to ask for forgiveness for our, our forefathers, you know, all the sins of our, our people, you know? So <clears throat> verse five or chapter five, verse one says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Oh, snap. Remember in Galatians, it said sexual immorality causes you not to inherit the kingdom, which means you're not in Torah, which means you're not walking by the spirit, which means you're operating in the flesh, which means you're hostile towards Hashem, which means you don't love your neighbors, you love yourself. Okay, so just keeping all the dots connected, just a few of the dots anyway, that uh, we've gone over. There's plenty more. So it says, and of a kind, so the, the kind of sexual immorality. So not only is there sexual immorality, but there's a specific kind. And it says it's intolerable even among pagans. So even among people who are not Jewish, who desecrate the Shabbat, who doesn't care about the Shabbat, who don't eat kosher, who do sorts of all sorts of idol worship, they don't even do this stuff. Man, sounds like the prophets. I mean, the prophets, when they wrote to us before the, the destruction of uh, Jerusalem, when the Babylonians came in and before the Romans, we were getting told, man, y'all are doing stuff the nations are doing. And now Shaul's over here like, y'all are doing stuff even the nations aren't doing goes on to say a man has his father's wife now if you can remember in the aliyah day and aliyah day keeps the yatahara away from rabbi griffin shlita did he not say that the reason why we're getting these commandments is because we were doing these things speaking of the illicit relations in akare mot and Takedoshim. Like, we're being told, hey, don't do this, don't do that, because, hey, you were doing this and you were doing that. Which means, oh, yeah, Hashem loved us while we were yet sinners. Hmm. That's interesting. 
So, yeah. So, a man has his father's wife. And literally, in Parashat Kedoshim, we read about, you shall not be with your father's wife. So, let me go over here to this over here. Read some, read some Parashat Kedoshim, shall we? Alright, Parashat Kedoshim, let's go to chapter 20, and let's look at this real quick. Um... If a man lies with his father's wife and has unco- and has uncovered his father's nakedness, both of them shall surely be put to death, and their blood shall be on them. That's Vayikra 20, verse 11. Hashem, you're amazing right now. I just want to publicly say you totally allowed me to see that. Hashem. Now it goes on to say, Okay, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been stricken with grief and removed from your fellowship the man who did this? Oh, come on now. So not not the woman, but the man. Because you realize, like, we, we get all turned up on Hava for eating the fruit. But really, it wasn't until the man... Adam. It really isn't. It wasn't until he ate the fruit that all this happened. So now, this this man who is sleeping with his father's wife, now it's just like, no, we're gonna take him out. That's the problem. It's not the woman that's the problem. It's the man that's the problem. And this is where it just kind of gets. Oh man, this is deep. As far as the responsibility of the man. Yikes. It's literally on us guys. Like what we do absolutely important. What the women do obviously super important. But the thing is when it comes down to the penalties and the responsibilities, that's on the man. So that's interesting. He's saying, "Shouldn't you remove the man?" Guys, this is death penalty stuff. And side note, the temple was in operation while Shaul is writing to these people. So, yeah, literally, you could get taken from Corinth to Jerusalem and stand before the Sanhedrin and have some issues going on. Because you've been warned, or I hope, I don't know, we don't know if if they were warned or not. The death penalty, I mean, there's a lot that needs to take place for that to happen, but you just need to know you're putting yourself on a slippery slope because you got to get warned by two Torah scholars or you got to get warned by a specific person like the leader and there's got to be two witnesses. So it's like, have you been warned about this? I know you read in the Torah, but have you have you been warned about this? It's like, okay, if you have and you're still doing this, that's a problem. So here's Shaul coming over here saying, you're proud. Shouldn't you have rather been stricken with grief? Although I'm absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. I've already pronounced judgment on the one who, okay, that clears that up. He was warned. There were witnesses. So guess what? You're liable to go to the Sanhedrin now, man. Okay. So I was told you about this. Just as if I was present. So he said, all right, so I've already given you the warning. and You know how that goes. 
because we're about grace around here. And apparently you don't care. It says when you are gathered in. When you're gathered in the name of Adonai Yeshua and I am with you in spirit, along with the power of Adonai Yeshua. Hand this man over to the Satan for destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Wow. Mm. Joel said, hand this man over. Again, he said the man didn't say anything about the woman. Because you know what? The father should be bringing the woman for the Sota. But wait, the Sota ritual was done away with even before Mashiach was born because people were so uh, illicit in their relationships that you couldn't even do a Sota ritual. So there's no opportunity for Sota. So the man's father couldn't even do that for his wife. So now the man is responsible for his own sins. I mean, this is, if you really just followed the, the little uh, pattern here and go down the stair step of the procedure, this is in, this is like very, very uh, intense, especially to be speaking to the people in Corinth. I mean, where's Corinth? Is that over by Greece somewhere? Let's see. Corinth. Show me. Yep. Greece. A greasy situation. Near Athens. Goodness gracious. So Greece is the uh the Hanukkah miracle uh exile. And then to the left, we got Rome. And then that's the final exile. So that's interesting how those two places are next to each other. I mean, I knew they were next to each other, but I didn't know Corinth was per se in, in Greece. But now we do. It's a part of Greece. Okay. Well, I'll be. So... Sorry, that's just stopping me for some reason. It's just like, wow. So the very place that desecrated the temple, the second temple, that is, Maccabees rose up, fought back, Hasmoneans, you know, doing their thing. We get the temple back. And now we go to Greece and spread Torah observance into Greece. The power of that, if you just stop and just think about that for a second, the very place that we were exiled by during the, the Greece time where they took over and everything. Afterwards, hundreds of years later, we go back and we take Torah to them. Man, how much hope for Rome is there? You know, because it's like, oh, this is Rome is pretty, uh, you know. Don't get you some kind of thing. It was like, that's the very place we need to go take Torah to. And it's like, oh, we did actually. 
We did. We did actually, even before the church was set up, actually, even before Christianity existed, actually, Rome was given the Torah. Remember the letter to the Romans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's that. Which that all came from the Shavuot throwdown of Kephas Drosh, because some people that heard that Drosh, they went back to Rome and was like, "Man, let me tell you about the. Let me tell you about Yerushalayim. Let me tell you about this Torah." And then Shaul was like, "Man, let me come talk to y'all, because I'm from Rome. You know, I'm a Roman citizen." So, anyway, just to kind of put some dots together, this is how rich the the letters are if you are reading the Torah. If you're not reading the Torah, then it's just a bunch of disjointed craziness. So anyway, it says, you were gathered. I need you to cast this guy over. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little comets works through the whole batch of dough? So the, the side note is, he's teaching him about comets. And Hamid's Slika is a uh, is Pesach drop. Like, how are you going to tell a bunch of people about Hamid's if they don't know what the Torah is? You mention, hey, get the Hamid's out of your house. Pesach's coming. Mention that today to any believer who's not Torah observant. They're going to be like, what? Get the Hamid's out of... What? I ain't getting no Hamid's. I don't need to get no Hamid's out. Where is that at? That's an Exodus. Exodus? Psh. You know, and it's like, well, before COVID-19, that used to be the case. Prayerfully, after COVID-19, that's not the case. So, Hamets. So, they know about Hamets. They know what that means. And the point that I want to bring up on this is that you're actually supposed to get back on Hamets after the week of unleavened bread. You're supposed to not have Hamets for a week. And then you get back on Hamets because... If you don't, you're actually saying, well, yeah, the, the new grain offering that we're supposed to bring at Shabbat, I'm not concerned about it, which is why one of the customs is to continue to eat matzah all the way up until Shabbat, so you can celebrate really transitioning from no hummets back into full blown hummets, which happens on Shabbat. But the Shavuot Hamets that you have is brand new. It's the Hamets of the spirit as opposed to the Hamets of the flesh, which is what you're supposed to actually get rid of so that the Hamets of the spirit can now come in and give you a new batch of dough. Which means, is he saying, get rid of the old Hamets, this verse 7, that you may be a new unleavened batch. So I'm going to need y'all to start all the way over at Pesach and then count the Omer up to Shavuot so that you can get off old hummets and get on to the new. Take off the old, put on the new. He says, so get rid of the old hummets that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Mashiach, our Pesach has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old hummets, leavened with malice and wickedness but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth so he's like we need to go back to 
Mashiach and start from there. Which is really interesting because I always say, stop what you're doing, return to Yeshua, and start from there. Literally, that's what Shaul just said. <laughs> Wonder where I got that from now, I know. Where did he get it from? From the sages. Because when you learn about Pesach, you're learning that's that's your start over point. That's your do over. So it says, I wrote you in my letter. Oh, snap. Here's that. Here's the verse that teaches us. First Corinthians is not the first letter to the Corinthians. Chapter five, verse nine, because he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. But guys, we already talked about this. Don't associate with them. We just read in Zohar Kedoshim or uh, Zo- what was that? Zohar Karemot. Yeah, don't don't fraternize with uncircumcised people. Where is that at? Where my note? Yeah, Zohar Karemo 49. It says, Therefore, anyone whose flesh is not marked with the holy impression, the holy Torah, the name of Hashem, Parsha Kedoshim, i.e., if their flesh is not marked with restraining themselves from impurity, says, If they are not marked with the holy impression, must not be informed of the words of Torah, and one must not study with them. And then there was a drop here in the, was it the Rabbah? Don't fraternize. Where was that at? Uh, Don't remember where that was at, but it was saying don't fraternize with these people. So anyway, Shaul is basically lining up with Zohar sources and Rabbah sources and all of that. Mm -mm -mm. So, I was not including the sexual, sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters in that case, you would have to leave this world. But I, now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a verbal abuser or drunkard or swindler with such a man do not even eat. So I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. It's like, okay, so you know, obviously... Greece is full of that, right? So don't do it. So now I need to be more specific so that this warning can go down. Because that guy, he already knows he shouldn't have been doing that. And he was specifically warned. Now you need to be specifically warned. Don't just think about sexually immoral people in the world. Think about sexually immoral people in your in your congregation, in your community. Which again goes to show Corinth was a group of Lepidniks. Like, they were like HCOs to Kepha and Yochanan and Yaakov. You know, so like, the original Lepid movement. So, yeah. So don't do not do that. He said, don't, don't associate with anyone who claims to be a brother. They're sexually immoral. They're greedy. They're an idolater. They're a verbal abuser. They're a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. 
because because they're 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 not about the Torah is basically what he's saying. And remember, the whole Torah is found in the opposite of these things. If you restrain yourself from these things, you fulfill the whole entire Torah. That's what Parashat Kedoshim teaches. So he says, what business of mine is it to judge those outside of the community? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked from expel the wicked man from among you. It's basically saying, you know, if you guys don't get rid of him, you're setting up a precedent for the community to remove all restraint, which means the whole community is going to go into no Torahness. They're going to become workers of lawlessness. And you guys are like super excited about that. And like, just need to let you know, don't be and fix it. You know, and he was super specific with it and said, you know, yeah, you need to judge. You need to judge according to the Torah within your community. And notice the context of the judging. It's not judging people for how how they lit their candles or how they're wearing their tefillin or how they're studying from the Humash and how they're pronouncing the Hebrew. But it's no, dude. You're sleeping with your mom. Like, no, you're getting judged. I don't care. I know you're not supposed to judge people, but that's... We're, no, we're out. No, you're out kind of thing. Like, you're you're done, okay? So anyway, when it comes to judging, because sometimes we think, oh, I don't want to judge. That's how I be judged. It's like, if, if, a, if a son is sleeping with his mother, let's just think about that for a second. If... If you got a guy who who's going to get drunk and then give up or get up in front of the community and give a drosh, lay down halakha and rebuke the, the crowd and stuff like that. Yeah, I know you're not supposed to judge, but uh, yeah, that's that's where you need to get busy, you know. So, I mean, yeah. If anybody wants to come in the synagogue with the Xmas tree and set it up on stage and start trying to give presents to people, yeah, you judge in those situations. Do I need to give any more examples? I mean, I didn't need. I'm. I shouldn't be giving examples because we already know these things. But yeah. Anyway, just for the sake of saying them, let it be known that you are allowed to judge inside the community. When it's outrageous and outlandish uh, situations like that. Okay, whenever a restraint is mentioned, holiness is also mentioned. Isn't it interesting? Hashem talked about holiness when he gave us the laws of kashrut. So people go, oh, why you eat kosher? Well, Hashem said to do so, but, you know, um, I've been given eternal life, and so I love it. Uh, the Shunammite woman. When we're talking the uh, second Kings drop here, where are we at? Yeah, second Kings four nine. She said to her husband, "Behold, I know he is a man of God." Second Kings four nine. The midrash interprets Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi's proof to draw an inference to this verse, because by calling him a man of God, she was saying that he's holy. He's a holy man. 
Rabbi Yonah said the verse implies that he, Elisha, is holy, but his servants are not holy. Yikes. <laughs> Talking about Gehazi. Thus it is written, Gehazi approached to push her. Rabbi, oh, verse, that's verse 27. Second uh, Kings 4, 27 says that and rabbi yosei bar hanina said in his explanation this means gahazi pushed the shunammite woman on the glory of her beauty i.e on her breasts so gahazi got a little touchy-feely with the shunammite woman and that ain't right so the woman was like elisha would never do that Side note, Elisha never looked at me. Did you know that it says Elisha was so holy that he didn't even look at a woman? It says this, and this is in Vayikra Rabbah 24.6. Elisha had adopted the practice of not looking at women, for this prevents one from coming to sin. Matthew 5.28. Uh, is what I put in the footnotes on. I was like, yeah, that's not in the Rabbah. I put that in there. <laughs> because Yeshua said, even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Which again, is in violation of Kedoshim, which is in violation of the old Torah. So this is something that's really interesting. Because culturally, here in America, we think, oh, he didn't interact with the woman. He didn't shake her hand. He didn't look at her. He didn't acknowledge her. Like, oh, he's so rude. Well, guess what? One of the things about us as Yehudim is we actually don't really acknowledge the women as far as, like, looking at them like that. Like, you know, if you have a conversation with another Yehudi, like, man to man speaks and women to women speak. The man doesn't ever look at the woman. And this is kind of one of those, like, oh, my gosh, exile is so bad. <laughs> because, like, you're just like, wait, why? This is so disrespectful. I can't believe he would not look at her. Like, you look at me when I'm talking to you. Notice, Elisha had lots of interaction with the Shunammite woman, but she never, he never looked at her. So that had to be an interesting dynamic, right? So that's one of the things I know for myself. I'm still on the the twelve step program. I'm close to step ten, I, I hope, because uh, I still, you know, like to acknowledge people when I look at them and stuff like that. Obviously, without the lust and stuff, but just, you know, talking about the progression of not really looking at women, because uh, that kind of to me right now still kind of sounds like what? Like how am I going to talk to Rumbot? How am I going to talk to Celia? How am I going to talk to Jackie? You know, like all these kinds of things. And it's just like, well, uh, Elisha was able to do interaction with women without looking at them. So, because the Shunammite woman, she, I mean, she had quite the bond with Elisha. I mean, she was married, you know, and her and her husband, you know, uh, set up a place for Elisha and he would come over there and be in the upper room and stuff, which is so spiritual sounding. <laughs> Elisha is in the upper room. Everybody be quiet. Torah's coming down. 
which by the way, Elisha's full name is Eli Yeshua, which means Eli Yeshua, my God is Yeshua. That's literally Elisha's name. Anyway, um, so yeah, so it's just kind of like, if you ever uh, interact with another Jewish couple, uh, couple, especially if you're a guy, you know, you it's like he, first of all, especially if he's already been Shomer and he already gets it, he knows that, he's not going to look at your wife. You know, he's not going to try to shake her hand. He's not really going to talk to her or anything. And then, so same goes for us, you know, myself included, guys, that, you know, we meet the said Jewish man and his wife, you know, so we, we get introduced to him, we know him, and da-da-da-da-da, and all that kind of stuff, and it's just like, wow, that's crazy. And obviously, you know, balance on that, because again, how are you going to get to know people's family and stuff like that, and that seems a little extreme, and that seems a little intense, but just know those are levels of fences, which we're talking about placing fences around yourself to keep you from sinning. Because if you look at another woman lustfully, you know, not saying that, oh, what do you mean say if I look at the woman I'm going to lust after? Obviously not. There's ways to look at women without lusting at them. Many people do it all the time and, you know, it's possible. However, you know, the fence is there if you want it. Uh, so that you don't have to worry about that issue. So, anyway, for what that's worth, I thought that was really interesting that Ellie Shaw didn't ever look at the Shunammite woman, but yet they've interacted and had conversations several times. Anyway, uh, and there's that whole thing again, culturally, dynamic-wise, that the the men don't ever look at the women, and there's no shaking the woman's hand or any of that kind of stuff. So don't feel put out ladies. If Jewish men don't look at you, you know, if they look at you, uh, and obviously, you know, they're not married and all that kind of stuff. And you know that, I mean, who knows what the gamut is on that, but just saying, just don't feel put out. If a married Jewish man doesn't look at you and he wants to talk to your husband, All right, Kedoshim, man. I, I just feel the elevation because it, it just feels like, you know, tightening up and uh, prioritizing and cleaning up cleaning up the act, if you will. Doing what the Omer count does for us. It binds us up and brings us to Hashem. Because, you know, one of the things is the, the Beta Mikdash is coming, so we got to learn how to interact with one another in holy ways. We're going to be in holiness, like, for real like all those things that we learned about in Parashat Tazria Medzora like we're gonna literally be doing that stuff mm. okay so it goes on to say here in 24.6 the Midrash illustrates how restraint and holiness are linked in scripture Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, why is the portion of Kedo, or forbidden relationships written next to the parasha of Kedoshim? But the explanation is to teach you that every place that you find restraint on immorality, you find holiness. And this explanation has many verses to support it. For our example, 
Or for example, after the Torah commands that the Kohanim shall not marry a woman who is a harlot or who has been desecrated, and Vayikra 21.7, it immediately says of the Kohen, you shall sanctify him for he offers the food of your God, which is in verse 8. Similarly, after the Torah commands regarding a Kohen Gadol, a widow, a divorcee, a desecrated woman, a harlot, he shall not marry these, and he shall not defile his offspring among his people. Verses 14 and 15, same chapter. Immediately it says of him, for I am Hashem who sanctifies him. I wonder what that, okay. I thought they were going to have another footnote on it. Says, and for a third example, so here's three examples right out the gate. Says that um, there is this verse of ours here in Vayikra. Speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for holy am I, Hashem your God, which immediately follows the portion of forbidden relationships at the end of Parshach Haremot. I love how I strategically put in there, like we need to talk about something forbidden, and then we'll talk about holiness. Something forbidden, then we're going to talk about holiness. Something forbidden, then we're going to talk about holiness. Such is the Torah, Rukashim. So, just to kind of puddle jump over some of my insights, or some of the insights that I highlighted, it says, holiness alludes to external existence. See, Sanhedrin, or Sika. That's what, okay. There's this whole thing, I'm going to read this, 24-7. It says, Vayikaru by 24-7. Because I thought it said external, but it says eternal. That's going to make a whole lot more sense to me now. So, I must read it. Thank you for being here. Rabbi Yudan said in the name of Rabbi Shamuel Bar Nachman, this is analogous to a king who had a certain undergarment. He would command his servant to shake it out and fold it. Okay, so here's what the footnote says. The full account of this is in Vayikrabah 2.4. The gist of it is this king offered... The king offered the servant to take good care of that particular garment and when asked by the servant why that article required special attention, the king answered, because I wear this garment directly on my body. With this analogy, Rabbi Yudin answers the question in our introduction as follows. Holiness alludes to eternal existence. Sanhedrin 92a. And I just love, again, that just clears up, you know, Galatians 5, where it says if you do these terrible things that are in there, all the sorceries and idolatries and immoralities and all that, you won't inherit the kingdom. Because the kingdom is eternal. The kingdom is the Torah. So that is holiness, and it's eternal. All the other stuff, the works of the flesh, is not eternal. It's not holy. So therefore, it won't inherit the kingdom. And that's all right here. There's my footnote. Yeshayahu 4.3. That's where it was. What a sneaker. I did all that loop-de-doo crazy around the world stuff. And here it is right here. Okay, anyway. So, Brugashem that I get to find a second witness. It says, 
Accordingly, our verse is intimating that if Israel clings to God as the undergarment in the analogy clings to the king, they will live forever like God. Side note, that means that this garment, he would command his servant to shake it out and fold it. So we have to be shaken out and we have to be folded and taken good care of. And the way we do that is by being in holiness. It says, they will live forever like God. This will happen at the time of the revivification, which is the resurrection of the dead. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. This is being holy as Hashem is holy. We're like, a ex, we're like an eternal uh, garment that Hashem wears. Specifically, his undergarment, which is that which is closest to him. So if you think about those who are close to Hashem, they're like Hashem's undergarment, which is holiness. Says in uh, 24-7, According to either interpretation, God promises to act generously toward Israel, but only on condition that your camp shall be holy, so that he shall not see a shameful thing among you. And that's Devarim 23.15. So Hashem is going to act generously with us only if our camp is holy. And what does it say? No shameful thing. This is expounded to mean no shameful speech. Rabbi Shamuel Bar Nachman said in explanation, this refers to debased speech. Footnote on that says, Foul language and Lashon Hara, it is only then that Israel will receive the blessing of Hashem walking among us. So if we remove foul language and Lashon Hara from us, again, Yaakov's writings, chapter one, verse twenty six. If your if your tongue is bad, then your religion is is null and void. So let me ask you this. How are you speaking and how are you treating other people? Because how you speak is eventually how you treat other people. And if there's shameful speech coming out of our mouth, then that means Hashem is not among us. Hence why the, the second temple was destroyed because of baseless hatred, which is really not being holiness, which is really desecrating the Torah in the name of Hashem. So, we got into exile through our mouth, and we're going to get out of exile through our mouth. So may it be so, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, please send Mashiach now.